It's from the Godfather. It means you have to go to war. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is it with men? What is it with men and the Godfather? Hello? <laughs> oh, come on. Hello? The Godfather is the I Ching. The Godfather is the sum of all wisdom. The Godfather is the answer to any question. What should I pack for my summer vacation? Leave the gun, uh, take the canola. What day of the week is it? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. The answer to your question is go to the mattresses. Go to the mattresses. You're at war. It's not personal, it's business. It's not personal, it's business. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, as always, is my wartime consigliere, my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the unenthusiastic critic. I assume that was a reference of some kind. Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> See, this is why you need to watch the movie. Well, so context clues, I'm okay. I, I think I can figure it out. On today's episode, we're sitting down for Nakia's first viewing of a film that nearly everyone else on the planet has already seen. Francis Ford Coppola's 1972 classic, The Godfather. At the top of the episode, we heard a clip from 1998's You've Got Mail in which Tom Hanks mansplains to Meg Ryan that the Godfather is the I Ching, the sum of all wisdom, the answer to any question. Nakia, I'm not sure why we haven't done The Godfather before, but it's a movie that has been laying in wait for you on our list for years. I mean, it was always a pretty obvious choice for an essential classic that you hadn't seen. How have you never seen The Godfather? Um... I think the runtime probably (laughs) scared me away, and I sound like, you know, a child with ADHD that just can't sit down for more than an hour, but I just, I have to really want to see a film that's three hours long, and I never really had a deep desire to see The Godfather. Well, the American Film Institute ranks it as the second best American movie of all time. Behind? Behind Citizen Kane. Okay. Okay. It won Oscars for Best Picture, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, and Best Screenplay. It was nominated in seven more categories, including Coppola for Director, and three nominations for Supporting Actor for Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, and James Caan. In its day, it was the highest grossing movie of all time, beating the record previously held by Gone with the Wind and The Sound of Music, two favorites of yours. Oh, Jesus. And then a couple of years later, Jaws and Star Wars came along and totally destroyed that record. But America fell into ruin. <laughs> Adjusted for inflation, it's still in the top 25 money-making films of all time. The Sight and Sound Critics Poll ranks it as number 21 worldwide. And the Sight and Sound Directors Poll ranks it as number 7. Hmm. The only American films the directors hold in higher esteem are Citizen Kane, of course. They like puffy white guys. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Taxi Driver, and Coppola's own Apocalypse Now are the only American movies higher on the list. Mm -hmm. And those last three, apart from all being on your list of movies that you still need to see, (laughs) have something else in common, and that's maybe where we can start today. Okay. They all fall roughly into what's referred to as the new Hollywood era of American filmmaking. It's this period from... 
depending who you ask, sort of the mid-60s through the late 70s, early 80s, that is considered this sort of renaissance period, this kind of creative rejuvenation for Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I, and I do think we should talk about this a little bit now, just because if for no other reason you and I are going to spend a lot of time in this period of history, because I think it's, you have not seen a lot of movies from this period. I mean, I've seen a few. So I went to my favorite resource, which is Wikipedia. I googled New Hollywood Era, and <laughs> they helpfully came up with a list. And I think their time frame was something like 65 to 83 or mm-hmm. somewhere around there. So I've seen a handful of them. I mean, there are, were a great many films on there that I had not seen. But Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was on there, The Graduate, uh, Rosemary's Baby, Clockwork Orange, uh, Annie Hall, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I have seen a few of mm-hmm. them, but definitely not the you know, the majority. And obviously missing some pretty big ones like the Godfather trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay, so let's let's define this a little bit. Um, I mean, to grossly oversimplify, Hollywood was in trouble in the early to mid-60s. It was losing money. Uh, it was losing viewers to television. Young people were not going to the movies, or if they were, they were going to see foreign films. Mm-hmm. They were not going to see Hollywood movies. And there was a real, there was real speculation that going to the movies would just fade out, like vaudeville had done. Mm-hmm. That would have become this sort of quaint thing that people used to do. And there were a lot of reasons for that, but one of them certainly was that Hollywood was just slow to adapt to the changing mood of the nation, right? With all the cultural upheaval that had happened in the '60s, and Hollywood was still churning out, you know, big screen musicals and big historical epics, you know, and it was just seen as old-fashioned and mm-hmm. out of touch. And then came what's known as the New Hollywood Era. And there's there's a good book on this by Peter Biskind called Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, How the Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll Generation Saved Hollywood. Uh, that was also made into a documentary by Kenneth Bowser, which you and I just watched recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically about how all these, you know, young rebels came in and totally shook things up and launched this kind of renaissance period for Hollywood. And so then we're talking about directors like Coppola, Peter Bogdanovich, Warren Beatty, Stanley Kubrick, Dennis Hopper, Mike Nichols, Woody Allen, Cassavetes, Peckinpah, like all of these guys, William Friedkin was The Exorcist, Robert Altman... All of these guys came in and kind of shook up what you could do with a movie. And then there was sort of a second wave that included people like Scorsese, Spielberg, George Lucas, Brian De Palma, Terrence Malick. And it it really is considered kind of this brief golden age. Polly and Kale wrote that the 1970s were when the movies seemed to be about things that mattered. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of movies from this era that are on your list of of things you haven't seen. Bonnie and Clyde, 2001, Easy Rider, Midnight Cowboy, The French Connection, Chinatown, Dog Day Afternoon, All the President's Men, Taxi Driver. These are all from sort of this same, you know, 10-year period, basically. Not a whole lot of diversity on that list. No, not a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Although I guess the last movie we did, Shaft, would also be from this time period. Right, but would people actually put it into that category would be my question. You don't usually see it on yeah, the same I list. I don't think so. No. Yeah. So it's, you know, white auteurs who got to write about white men usually right. behaving badly. There are also critics who think the whole narrative about this 70s renaissance is completely overrated. 
Uh, Manola Dargis, writing in the LA Times in an article entitled The 70s Get Over It. (laughs) (laughs) She said, filmmakers working in Hollywood fired off terrific movies, but so did Hollywood filmmakers working in the teens, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the much maligned early 60s. The great and banal truth of the new Hollywood is that for all the cant, the drama, the love beads, the hot tubs, the jump cuts, the acid and dope, the new wasn't all that different from the old. It was just Hollywood. So there is there is this real cult of adoration right. about these movies, which I don't completely share. I mean, there are movies I love in there. There are other movies that I recognize as important, but I don't have a particular fondness for. I mean, one of the things that I found interesting when we were watching that documentary was they sort of kept juxtaposing, and the documentary touches on it a little bit, um, this sort of quote-unquote revolution that was happening in Hollywood, and here were these sort of rebel directors who were totally breaking the paradigm Mm -hmm. and and challenging power structures against the very real revolutions that were happening (laughs) on the streets of particularly L.A. or in Vietnam. And then a lot of the films weren't necessarily speaking to that in any kind of real way or reflecting that in any kind of real way. There was just this sort of feeling of, general angst and like right. there was a sort of energy that we had to exercise but there wasn't really a, a direct dialogue with kind of the sort of very real political context within which those films were happening so it, it just always struck me as a little bit tone deaf of just like oh my god this amazing thing was happening in hollywood and it totally changed everything it was like well it was hollywood as hollywood has always been it's just the narrative changed a little bit it was no longer running around the Alps singing songs. <laughs> it just now we were, you know, riding motorcycles and smoking dope around a, a, a fire or whatever. So it was just kind of like, okay. Yeah, I mean I think what I think what changed in part was I mean I, I think you're right. I think it was less about directly addressing things that were going on in society. Mm-hmm. I think the change was almost more one of uh like moral tone Mm -hmm. it was sort of making room for this kind of moral ambiguity and reflecting this sort of disillusionment with all the old ideals um and i think that's we can talk about that after we've watched the godfather because you know there had always been gangster movies as long as hollywood had been making movies but they always had this kind of moral framework on them in which eventually the gangsters would be punished right and that's not what was happening in the godfather yeah, so going back to Pauline Kael for a second, she wrote in her review in 1972, In The Godfather, we see organized crime as an obscene symbolic extension of free enterprise and government policy, an extension of the worst in America, its feudal ruthlessness. Organized crime is not a rejection of Americanism, it's what we fear Americanism to be, it's our nightmare of the American system. When Americanism was a form of cheerful, bland, official optimism, the gangster used to be destroyed at the end of the movie, and our feelings resolved. Now the mood of the whole country has darkened guiltily. Nothing is resolved at the end of The Godfather because the family business goes on. The Godfather is popular melodrama, but it expresses a new tragic realism. So that's kind of what I was trying to say, is that it's not... It doesn't reflect the times necessarily directly in terms of the issues that were going on, but it reflects this kind of changing mood and this sort mm-hmm. of American disillusionment. To treat us on and capitalism. Cynicism. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So we'll see if you agree with that reading of it, too, I guess, as we watch it. Okay. I have to say, I don't think I've seen many 
quote-unquote gangster or mob films. I was trying to think about that. Neither the sort of old guard or this new... Right, um, the old James Cagney right. movies. Or... Um, I think I saw Casino. I think that was the... That's probably the only sort of film in that. Mm-hmm. Which was... Was that Scorsese? That was Scorsese. Yeah. And that's... So that's definitely a descendant of right. The Godfather. Um, but I think that's the only film that I've really seen in that, that genre. Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen. I think you've seen a few other Scorsese. You saw The Departed. Did I see that? Oh, is that the one with the the rat? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> the rat stands for obviousness. I remember not enjoying that. <laughs> so. But you haven't seen uh, like Goodfellas. No, that's I another seen... one that's on your list. Yeah. We should get to that eventually. I have not seen Goodfellas. I'm not a huge mob movie guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there are people who just love Goodfellas beyond all proportion, right. and I'm not one of them. The Godfather is a movie that I, like, became obsessed with briefly, like, in my 20s. And I don't know that I've watched it since then. Hmm. I certainly haven't watched, like, the whole trilogy since then. I've seen, you know, bits and pieces of it here and there. So when you say you were obsessed with it in your 20s, was it on an aesthetic level, or did the themes really resonate with you, or was it just cool, and you're in your 20s and you like cool shit? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I think probably that was, you know, I was starting to get slightly more interested in film and Mm -hmm. from a serious perspective around that time. But I also think the appeal of these movies for a lot of people is that they are these just, like, big novelistic right. films that you can kind of just live inside. There's so much detail and there's so much texture. And mm-hmm. There's just so many characters and they are so long. To some <laughs> people, that's a that's a plus. I understand it isn't for you, but it's like having a, you know, a big 1,200-page novel that you're just really into reading right. and you just, it can last forever. When you mentioned that... The film resonated with you in the 20s. It reminded me that there's actually this sort of history of these sort of mob and gangster films being used as references in a lot of early, I want to say early 90s-ish hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Um, so references to The Godfather, references to Goodfellas, references Scarface. to Scarface. Even going so far as there's Nas um, has this video uh, for his song Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. And it's I, I believe it's a re- recreation of Casino, though it may pull from other places because he's, you know, he's the guy, at you know, running the casino with like really sort of volatile girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And there's his cars blowing up at the end and he's sort of walking away from this explosion of a car and things like that. So this idea of this sort of grasping on to... Um, iconography around mobsters and and the mob as a way to sort of articulate what they were experiencing or or sort of their sort of idealization of their lives in inner city projects and things like that. So it's like some of them did actually deal drugs and some of them did actually probably have a hand in the murder of some folks. Um, Most of them probably didn't and just talked a big game. So this idea going back to Colin Kale's quote of like, this is some sort of statement about, you know, the corruption of Americanism, Mm -hmm. this this sort of American ideal, and also a statement on the sort of brutality of capitalism. Right. And overlaying that in the context of, you know, black underserved communities and sort of how that inspired the music coming out of it. I think that's really interesting. Um, The other thing I'll say about that before we watch the movie is what you were just saying about that sort of adoption of the the iconography mm-hmm. of the Godfather, that's what happened with the actual Italian mob as well. Hmm. 
like the question of how accurate the Godfather is as a representation of the mob gets tricky because it became more accurate after it came out and the mob started adopting the terminology and the catchphrases and the lifestyles of the characters in the Godfather. <laughs> like, Mario Puzo invented the term Godfather. That was not a real thing huh. that the mob used until the movie came out. Well, and then it good, was. It's a good name. And, you know, there there have been interviews with, like, actual mobsters who say, yeah, after we saw that movie, we started doing this. <laughs> and we started, like, saying all the catchphrases that they said in the movie. Well done. So Branding is important. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what are you expecting from this experience of watching The Godfather? I mean, I'm not expecting to hate it. It is pretty much a universally beloved film. I think it's like... I the, never underestimate your ability to hate well, something. Well, I, I really don't. I mean, it's the film that every director wishes they had made. or You know, I so I'm sure it's a really well done movie. Um, depending on sort of how slow it is, if it's like really about this sort of interiority of characters and things mm. like that, it'll that'll probably determine how much I start Whether to you like stay awake. Right. <laughs> start to fade a little bit. Just because and again, this is sort of one of the um one of the sort of hazards of the job, right? Of this project is there has since been Goodfellas, there has since been Casino, there has since been The Sopranos, right. there has since so the sort of novelty of that sort of deep dive into the mind and the psyche and the character of this sort of... Um, like anti Right, this sort of anti-hero character, it feels sort of saturated now at this point, and I'm that's, less that's inclined old, to... It's right, old news I'm to less you. inclined to engage with those right. stories, it becomes less interesting, and that's just, again, the result of the nature of this project, um, is that I'm coming to it backwards. Right. So I think that that's probably the only thing that I'm sort of worried about is that I'll be like, okay. I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's not fair to the film because the film, right. you know, laid the groundwork for that. But yeah, I, I'm sure it's going to be great. What do you want me to do what I beg you to do? Now you come to me and you say, I'm Corleone and give me justice. You come into my house and you ask me to murder me. I ask you for justice. That is not justice. They want to get mixed up in the family business. You got to get them close like this. Bada bing, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. You give them one message, I want Salazar. Now it's all out war, we go to the Some back. of the other families won't sit still. They may hear me, Salazar. father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal. You know my father. Men are coming here to kill him. I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those big shots. It's not personal. It's strictly business. Welcome back. During the break, Nikki and I watched <laughs> The Godfather. And in the interest of full disclosure, <laughs> I feel it necessary to admit that in the spirit of the film and all of the Italian food that they eat throughout it, Nikki and I have had most of a pretty good bottle of wine. Without the food to... <laughs> Without the food. Insulate to soak the it wine. Up. They drink wine 
all throughout this movie. All the meetings, they have wine. Yeah. Before Michael shoots those guys in the restaurant, they're all drinking wine. Yeah. Wine is a very important part of this. Yes, it is. But they also had, you know, meatballs and pasta and Chinese food. We did not. So how are you feeling? A three-hour movie and a couple of glasses of wine. I'm feeling great. Excellent. Life is wonderful. (laughs) So how'd you enjoy the movie? I actually liked the movie. I thought it was really well done. Would I say that it's the greatest film ever made? I don't know that I would go that far. But it is a really beautiful, well-done film. I think parts could have been cut to shorten it a bit. What what parts would you have cut? I think the whole Italy part <laughs> the whole Sicily could just part. go because it it doesn't really have any effect on anything. Um, well, it has an effect on Apollonia, right? Who barely speaks. So <laughs> she's she's not much of a character. She's not, no. and she's not the best Apollonia in the world. I mean, the best Apollonia is Princess Apollonia. So we really don't need a okay, second. We don't, Apollonia. we don't need to make this a contest. I mean, sort of. So I think the whole Sicily. Sojourn could have been either seriously truncated or just taken out completely. Could have dispensed with that with a montage. Yeah, I don't. I just yeah. Little twirling newspaper. I montage. mean, Sicily was it was it's beautiful footage and you know, but yeah, we you could have cut that considering <laughs> the film length. Okay, so what did you like about the movie? Um, what did I like? Well, I will say what was what surprised me was that I went in thinking that it was going to be Brando's film, and it isn't really. No, it isn't. It's Pacino's film. Yes. Um. So that was a little bit of a surprise for me. Um. I thought Pacino was more the focus of the second, which I imagine he's he is, but I thought this first one was kind of kind of be. Well, actually, I mean, Brando isn't in the second one, but Robert De Niro plays young Vito Corleone mm-hmm. in the second one, and a mm-hmm. lot of the second one is about his youth after okay. he first came to America. Okay. So, so, in a way, the second one is more Vito's movie. I see, but not Brando. But not Brando. Mm-hmm. Yes, Brando was nominated for Best Actor. Pacino, James Caan, and Robert Duvall were all nominated for Supporting Actor, mm-hmm. which is just one of those... Brando was the bigger name, right, so right. It was... I mean, yeah, but like the, I thought the um, acting pretty much across the board was phenomenal. Brando, for me, it almost felt like too much artifice. Like it was just so much sort of. You could tell that he was thinking about it and he was trying to kind of create this character. It was. It almost reminded me of um, Citizen Kane when he's older. Foster mm-hmm. Kane was that sort of very stiff and very um, studied sort yeah. of acting. So it was a little bit of a not that it wasn't good. It was good, but it was it it just wasn't a very sort of naturalistic performance. I, I agree with you. I um, I find Brando to be a very self conscious actor. Mm-hmm. See, I don't know that I've ever actually seen him in in much of anything. Was he was that Jurassic Park that he that wasn't him? Uh, no, <laughs> the owner of Jurassic Park. <laughs> was no. that? I, okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> Though he would have been good in that part. So I don't know that I've seen Brando. Uh, are you thinking of, uh, a, a God only knows why you would have seen this movie. Are you thinking of The Island of Dr. Moreau? Fucking yes! Uh-huh, yes! Okay. With the little, like, baby <laughs> yes. man. The little mini me. Right, yes. Uh-huh. Why did I watch yeah. that? I don't know. I watched some weird <laughs> shit. Um, I don't know. So- Haven't seen The Godfather. Haven't seen <laughs> The Island of Dr. Moreau. The fact that those two things got conflated With in Val my brain Kilmer. is a problem. Um, Right. 
So that's, no, there's a connection. I mean, you're not completely out of left field here. So that's my reference for Brando, which is probably not a good reference no. for Brando, which means I should probably go back and watch some of his films. My understanding of that movie is that Brando was a pain in the ass on the set. He never learned his lines. He had, I think, in that that's the one where he supposedly had an earpiece, mm-hmm. and they were just reading his lines in, but right before he spoke them. And even in The Godfather, you can. there's a couple of places where you can see him reading cue cards. <laughs> like, he would not learn his Brando lines. Or, I don't know what the hell was going on, but yeah. So, yeah. So, Brando's performance, though good, it's hard to sort of believe him as a real person a little bit. Mm. Um, there were sort of moments um, that I thought, oh... Um, like when he's playing in the in the garden with his grandson at the right. end, it was a little bit looser and freer. He seemed more like a real person. He seemed person more like a real person. Yeah. And and that's not to say that his performance was bad. It absolutely was not. It was a right. great performance. But I felt like I was watching someone doing a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I thought Michael Al Pacino's character had a, a more sort of nuanced and interesting arc. I forget how good Pacino was. He is. And that's, you know, later Pacino, you get that hooah <laughs> bullshit going on, and he almost becomes a caricature of himself. He's my favorite. But in, you go um, back and watch movies like this and uh, Dog Day Afternoon, which is which is a movie that's on our list. It's one of my favorite movies. I think he's supposed to be Puerto Rican in it. In what? In this movie that I like him in. He's like a, he was in prison and then he gets out and he's like trying to turn his life around. I have no idea. I can't remember the name of it. Damn it, that's going to bug me. <laughs> this is really good podcasting here. <laughs> listening to someone Hold look that. something up on Hold our laptop. the fuck on. Because usually you know when I... Oh, Carlito's Way. Can we be sued for using the Jeopardy theme? Carlito's Way. Is he supposed to be Puerto Rican? I don't yes, know. he's supposed to be Puerto Rican. A Puerto Rican... Well, Scarface, he's supposed to be Cuban, He right? is. So yeah. apparently, you know, Pacino's a bunch of different things. Um, <laughs> but so I liked him in that. Um, but yeah, no, I thought he gave a really nuanced, interesting performance, and a lot of it was like small physicality choices mm-hmm. that he made. So when we see the transition from you know war vet that doesn't want to be involved in the business mm-hmm. to okay, I'm fully into this now, is um, when he goes to visit his father at the hospital and he recognizes that there are no guards on mm-hmm. staff, and so he kind of goes into crisis management mode, and he comes outside. And he's trying to put on this front for right. the people that are coming to shoot his father. Uh, so he's telling the gentleman that's with him, you know, stand like you have a gun in your coat. Right. And the guy that's with him is super nervous and is lighting yeah, a cigarette. He's like and he's the florist, right? Or and he's just shaky. And and then or the wedding. He's the baker. He's the, baker. the wedding cake guy. Right? right. And so Pacino has to light a cigarette for him, and he realizes that his hand isn't shaking. And so it's that yeah. first sort of acknowledgement of like, I'm not bothered by this. Right. Like, I can do this. I, I can step into this I was this actually role. born for this. Right. Um, that is a nice moment. So just very small little physical moments uh, that he is physical choices that he makes that sort of communicate the sort of arc of that character even so much as like the way he sits in chairs Mm. as he goes on he starts to sort of take up more space Mm -hmm. you know the the legs go out a little bit more he sits back a little bit more and almost like a sort of king and on a throne right he so the way that he just sort of carries himself throughout the film it sort of shows you his his sort of growing into this this role um, that was once occupied by uh, his father. So I thought Pacino was brilliant. Um, but again, I mean, James Conn was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember any other names right now, but they were all really good. 
<laughs> it is uh, Diane Keaton yes. is K. Who I didn't. Her character was very flighty and mm-hmm. random to me. There well, is a the women get short I mean, trip right. in this film, which I, I no imagine doubt. makes sense in that world, and that they are really peripheral right. to the business and the sort of um, operations of the family. So I understand that. But I think they did interesting visual things with her. So there's one scene where Michael is in Sicily. She hasn't heard from him. She's been writing. She's been calling. And she hasn't heard anything from mm-hmm. him. So she comes to the house. Right. And she walks up and which, she's in Which this, is basically a fortress which at is, that point, Right, exactly. And she's in this bright red coat and this bright red ridiculous hat. Mm-hmm. And so she looks so just out of place yeah. and discordant with the environment. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very sort of visual cue of this is an intruder. She does not belong in this world. Right. Um, so I thought that that was interesting. But otherwise, I didn't really... Her character is kind of whatever to me. Like, I guess, most of the female characters. But yeah, I think it's a beautifully shot film. Particularly that opening scene. Bonacera comes to ask a favor right. of the Godfather. And it's uh, the shot opens with you know a really tight cut on Bonacera's face. And he's, you know, pleading his case. I believe in America right. is the believe, first line right. of the movie. Exactly. And again, that speech, in, it's I believe in America. America gave me my fortune. You know, I raised my daughter in an American way. And she was taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And I went to the police and the sentence was suspended and these guys got off. And so for justice, I'm coming to you, Don Corleone. Right. Um, so it's this sort of perfect sort of immigration story and also the sort of failure of the American dream sort of story mm-hmm. all in there. Um, but so it's a tight cut on his face and it's all pretty much in shadow except for his face. Yep. And then we pan out and then, you know, Don Corleone sort of just emerges from like the lower left corner of the screen and he's fully in shadow. You don't see his face. Yeah. Um, that, that camera pull actually pull, it starts in on Bonacera's face. Right. And it actually pulls back and then across, actually across the, the Don's desk. desk. Right. And we're behind So Don that we're Corleone. behind right. and from Don Corleone's point of view. It's it's a really It's a really shot. beautiful shot. Um, and it's all about that sort of and play And yet of not shadows. super flashy and not, no. it's, it's fairly subtle. But yeah. It's, but it's all this sort of, and again, going back to Citizen Kane, right, it's like this just the, the, the importance of playing with light and shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's... So let's... And this it's going to be hard to keep all of this organized, but you just mentioned the darkness, so let's talk about mm-hmm. that really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Gordon Willis was the cinematographer on this, and he filmed it deliberately dark. And he wanted it dark, and Coppola wanted it dark, and everybody who looked at it was like, it's too dark. Mm-hmm. It's too dark. And they filmed it deliberately. This is getting into techie geek stuff, but... Normally what happens is you film a, a movie normally and then people can print from the negative and make it either dark or light. Same mm-hmm. way you can with a photograph. Mm-hmm. You can like overexpose it or underexpose it or, you know, mess with the lighting that way. They filmed this deliberately so you could not do that. Mm. So like the the darkness, there is no, how to say this? There's no information in the darkness. So if you turn up the lighting on that, there's nothing there to show. Right. Um, so all of that is very deliberate, all of those deep, deep blacks mm-hmm. on the film. It's almost like looking at old photographs the way yeah. that it's the way that it's filmed. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really like that. And I think you see that through a lot of the the various scenes of um, you know, people being in shadow or rooms being deeply in shadow. Another good place where it's used is again going back to when Michael's at the hospital 
with his father and the the florist or baker who that's the baker right the baker's right he's coming up the stairs and we don't we don't see anything we're just looking at stairs but we hear the footsteps and then we finally sort of see this sort of shadowed person coming up the stairs and then we finally see that it's you know this gentleman that we know and so i think there's a lot of play of sort of light and dark in this film Mm -hmm. right because going back to that opening scene we're cutting back and forth between the don's office right which is dark and shadows right. and all the of dark this dark wood woodwork. And, right. And then going outside to this almost overexposed... Wedding scene. Wedding scene. Mm-hmm. And that is... It, it really is sort of the themes of the right. movie. Right. Is you have these very normal family scenes contrasted with the business of the family. Right. When the police come to the hospital and they sort of rough up Michael, that's another yeah. scene where... It's it's a very dark scene. Like you can barely see anyone's mm-hmm. faces in this, particularly the police officers. They just become sort of these dark figures that are um, roughing him up. So I just I really like that sort of play um, with light and shadow um, in the film. The thing is, I feel my eyeballs. Like that's <laughs> what's weird about when I drink is that I feel my eyeballs, and I don't know why that is. I don't know what that means. You have an awareness. I have an awareness of your eyeballs. <laughs> my eyeballs in a way that I do not usually have. Is it a feeling like just that they're there, that they're, or that they're not supposed to be there? Well, that's ridiculous. Are they changing size? What okay, is? Okay, I'm not insane. Um, <laughs> that's yet to be proven by any scientific standard. That they are there. Like when I blink, it's like, oh, that's an eyeball. <laughs> Okay, maybe no more wine for you. No, I have to finish. It's I need to lubricate my mouth. Um, okay. <laughs> what to talk about next? Oh, okay. So sound. Okay, you want to talk about sound? Talk about eyeballs. Let's talk about sound. Um, I, th- <laughs> I thought the score was really powerful and well done. Mm-hmm. But I also think the sort of um, use of... Is it diegetic? Where it's actually in the... Yes, diegetic sound. I also thought the use of sort of diegetic sound in um, a few scenes was really sort of uh, powerful, particularly around the character of Michael. So the first time being when he uh, takes the meeting at the restaurant Louis, I believe it's called, uh-huh. with the with the police officer and the the and, the uh, drug Salazzo. Salazzo. So he goes to the bathroom to retrieve the gun. Yeah. He comes back with the gun, and then all you hear is just a very loud sort of train, uh, like a, a, a what do trains do? Um, you hear chugging. The, I don't know. What you, hear. you hear? Is it just the sound of the a train? train passing? You hear the sound of a train passing, and it just progress. And, and it's right. a close up on his face. Salazzo is talking that right, entire but time, all we hear and is he's train. just sitting there, right. sort of waiting for his trying, moment, trying to summon the courage to do this. Right, and so the train is sort of the sound of the train is sort of amping up the tension mm-hmm. and the anticipation of this moment. And then it happens again when uh, Michael is at the baptism of his sister's child. Mm-hmm. That's the very end of the movie. The very end of the movie, where we hear um, the. Uh, sounds of the the church organs juxtaposed with these scenes of the like mass murder of right. all of these rival right. bosses i thought that that was really a, a kind of cool effect of like almost like sensory overload kind of of these moments 
This is, I mean, this is the other thing that I, when I go back and watch these movies now, and it's not fair, but it's, I'm like, what the hell happened to Francis Ford Coppola? Because he made these two movies, Godfather 1 and Godfather 2, mm-hmm. and then in 1979, he made Apocalypse Now, which is another masterpiece. Right. That was pretty much it. Like, he made a few other decent movies. Mm-hmm. Um... But they were all kind of like mid-level mediocrities. Mm. The Cotton Club and Peggy Sue Got Married and Gardens of Stone. Um, Dracula, the one with your boy Keanu Reeves in it. Who's brilliant. Okay, we're not, <laughs> not going to go there. But yeah, he, he never made another great movie. And that was well, 40 years ago. I don't know what happened. I mean, but it's also like, well, he made three really brilliant films. Yeah, that's that's three more than most people make. Right. And there could have been things about those other films or reasons behind making those other films that we may never know or be aware of that made them worthwhile for him. But yeah, I mean... To do three brilliant films, I mean that's a that's a right. that's a pretty amazing feat. Um, most people don't get three. Um, am I talking slow? No, you're okay. You're, you're fine. <laughs> we should do this every week. We should not do this every week because I don't. I never drink. <laughs> so my body is now in like what the fuck status, <laughs> bitch? What's happening? This, this podcast is going to become like what's that show? Drunk history. <laughs> Which, they're so good cinema. at remembering facts. I would never be able to do that. I'd be like, you know, that white bitch owns slaves. And then this and happened. something happened. In like 1800-something. Like, they're so good at remembering the facts. <laughs> That's what impresses me about that show. Because I would be worth bullshit. Like, I wouldn't be worth shit if I had to do that. <laughs> if you ask me about my own life... While drinking, I'd be like, yeah, so... Details Around are this time, vague. something happened. So that's impressive, because I'm not... I can't do that. I can't remember all these names. I don't, is it Sammy or Sonny? You I just remembered Bonacera when I couldn't But come only up because with his it. last name is Bonacera, which is like, isn't that goodbye or hello? Or good, good luck day, or good, good something. Something. Yeah, we gotta good. brush up on our Italian. Something good. I don't need to, yeah, I don't need to do that. <laughs> I do like how those little and we're jumping all over and let's we're just, let's just give into that over the place. <laughs> I like how those little characters from the beginning come back. Mm-hmm. So Enzo the baker is the guy that shows up, and he's got like an immigration issue, which apparently Don Corleone is the guy to right. help solve. Yes. Um. So in that first wedding scene, he's asking Don Corleone to do him a favor and right. help the guy who was going to marry his daughter or whatever. And then, yeah, that's the guy that comes back in the scene of the hospital mm-hmm. and is standing outside and essentially saves the Don's life by right. standing there pretending to have a gun. And then the other guy, that opening scene, Bonacera, the Undertaker, the, oh, at the end of that at, at the end of that scene, he says, "You know, someday, and this may day may never come, I will call on you for a favor." Mm-hmm. And then you expect that to come back in some criminal way. No. In some, make like, you know, I'm going to make you like do Swiss something cheese. you don't... Right. <laughs> right. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Undertakers have a hard job. Yeah, that's not a job I would want. It's a terrible no. job. I'd be like, I can't fucking fix this. Dude. And they shot Sonny about 472 times. times. My response to that would be like, burn him. <laughs> <laughs> 
casket, bitch. Well, let's talk about Sunny. Let's, you know, while we're in the neighborhood, let's talk about Sunny. Sunny's a hothead. Sunny is a hothead. (laughs) But I appreciate Sunny because Mm. he likes to whoop ass. And I appreciate anybody (laughs) that likes to whoop a little ass. That's like, that scene. That sort of chess he, playing politics yeah, bullshit. No, no, fuck no, no, that no, no. shit. Go beat Sonny's not a big thinker. No. He's no, no. He's like, okay, well, we need to go whoop his ass. <laughs> bada bing. Bada bing, bada boom. And you whoop his ass. That was probably a hate crime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that scene where he kicks the ass of his brother in law, Carlos. Who's wearing. Like a creamsicle colored motherfucking two piece. You would have given him a beat down just for wearing just that. Just bitch, you beat your wife like an and you wearing a orange ass jumpsuit or whatever. Like, the hell who he was does wearing. that? I will say, however, that is not the best garbage can fight scene. The best garbage can fight scene is in Harlem Nights between Della Reese and Eddie Murphy. Google it, kids. Look it up. <laughs> that's the best gar- that when you want to hit somebody with a garbage can that's that's your reference that's your that's the bar so who who would win in a fight between Della Reese and James Conn oh my god Della Reese will fight. whoop his ass because Della Reese rises <laughs> from a garbage can hit she gets hit with a garbage can and she gets up and is like bitch you just tried to hit me with a garbage can there's like three people out there that know what you're talking about. Okay, first I'm of all, not one of them. If you haven't seen Harlem Nights, fix your life. It is so good. It is fucking hell. If you that's a good sort of mobster, sort of, you know, underground crime film right there. It has Better than The Godfather? Richard Pryor, yes. Eddie Murphy, <laughs> Della Reese, Red Fox. Okay? Is Della Reese like swearing for an hour and a half? Like, how do you even top that? <laughs> She, like, tells him, kiss my ass, motherfucker, but you so blind you can't find it. Like, that's that's poetry right there. That's poetry. And again, better garbage can fight scene. <laughs> I have not had the opportunity to be somebody with a garbage can. I'm looking forward to it in my life. I want to be the person that smacks somebody in the head with a garbage can. I don't know that it will maybe, ever come up. Maybe, maybe hand me the wine. No, I need maybe some more, that's actually. Enough. I need some more. <laughs> But so I, I appreciate Sonny for being, you know, about his business, but it's not good for business as uh, Tom, is it Tom? Tom is Robert Duvall, the right. lawyer. As Tom tells Tom him, Hagen, you know, violence is expensive. Yes. We need to rein it in. Very good film about soft power versus hard power. <laughs> Tom is soft power. Tom is soft power. Tom is diplomacy. Tom uh-huh. is, you know, let's, let's, let's sort of, you know, build our alliances. Let's talk about how we can it's use our assets. It's just business. It's not it's personal. Just it's not personal. Whereas Tommy's like hard power. Yeah. I'm going to whoop that motherfucker's ass. How's that work out for him? It does not work out well. <laughs> Which, okay. So let's talk about that scene. Okay. So, is it Carlo? Carlo. Mm-hmm. Carlo, this is like... Wh- this is Connie's husband. Connie's Talia husband. husband. Beats her with a belt all up and through the apartment (laughs) while she is pregnant. And so she calls her brother, Sonny, and is like, hey, he just beat my ass with a belt. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he, of course, is like, okay, I'm going to go fuck this dude up. (laughs) So he gets in his car. Yeah. The hothead that he is and drives to go. Drives off without his bodyguards. Without bodyguards. bodyguards are like chasing two miles behind. And comes up on the toll booth and then gets shot like... 50,000 times. It's just a lot of bullets. Yeah. And I love how the toll booth guy is just like, I'm just going to duck yeah, down. Yeah, I'm just going to duck booth. down here. It's wooden. In this plywood. You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly was your plan, sir? <laughs> but that, so he gets 
gets shot like 80,000 times in the car, yeah. but it's still okay enough to get out of the car <laughs> and stand there and then get shot 80 times again, 80,000 times more. Um, and then his quote-unquote bodyguards come out about a half hour later. It, it, re- it really is. It's quite a while later. So then the question is... Because you're like, where are the bodyguards? Right. Where are the bodyguards? Where? And then eventually they That car comes up. up and it's like, you suck at your fucking job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said that a lot in this movie. Because it... Fredo with his fumbling okay. we'll, get to Fre- we'll get to Fredo okay stay Everybody's on, stay on like, topic to be in this business like this is what you do you suck at your job um so right so 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 was so Carlo planned that so he was like oh I'm gonna do this that's, whole thing that's yes or I'm gonna whoop this bitch's ass with a bell yeah so that she calls Cause, her brother cause we've gone to the mattresses everybody's holed up we're at war to lure Sonny out from his protection from that fortress that the house has become, mm-hmm. apparently they came up with this plan. That's super convoluted, I feel like. It, it is a little bit convoluted. And it involves you beating your wife with and a belt. It, yeah, Connie didn't get the, the good end of While that, she's pregnant. Basically, she's just a, she's getting beaten with a belt for bait, which is not cool. At least he wasn't wearing a creamsicle outfit. <laughs> like, fuck you. You're going to beat me while you're wearing a bitch-ass outfit? <laughs> No, son. <laughs> okay, so you wanted to talk about the third brother, the middle brother, Fredo. Fredo, who was like... Who really, after Sonny gets 974 bullets in his face, uh, Fredo's next in line. Fredo should be... But he's too busy, like, out in Las Vegas sucking the ass of the dude who owns the casino. <laughs> with a kerchief around his neck. Like, what are you? What is your purpose? You're like limp spaghetti. I don't... He's failure walking. Just standing, <laughs> he is failure. You look at Fredo, failure just personified. standing still, he is failure. I mean, doesn't every family have one of those? You know, there's I always guess, a Fredo. Sure. Maybe. But then I feel like you killed him. I think I'm just, the Fredo in my family, You're not actually. the Fredo. You are not the Fredo. I'm not going to say on air who the Fredo is, but you are not the Fredo. <laughs> Here's this. I'm an only child. Does that mean I'm the Fredo? <laughs> I guess that means I am the Fredo. You're the Fredo and the Michael. I'm the Fredo and, and the Michael the and the Sonny. I'm all of them. That's why I have problems. Yeah. Because I'm just, <laughs> I'm all of them. Yeah, Fredo is, uh, he does not have a brain in his head. Mm-mm. You almost get the feeling that there's something wrong there. I don't think, I just think he's a bitch ass mofo. Like, he's just not. <laughs> Fredo, he likes to be led. Fredo is not a leader. He likes to be led. And that's fine. There's room. There's space for all those people. But you never go against the family. <laughs> you never go against the family, Fredo. See? See how you're learning the wisdom of the Godfather? That's that what don't we take said no going into this. Why this people just yeah. like, you don't talk about our business outside our family. Don't do that. Black people learn that from the Godfather. No, they didn't. No, <laughs> fuck off. No, they didn't. Everybody learned everything from black people, okay? Black people learned shit from nobody. We brought the knowledge, okay? We brought the cool and the wisdom. I don't know why. <laughs> okay. I, where do we go from here? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. <laughs> So, okay, so Fredo, the only thing I'll say about Fredo is that you you need the completion of the Fredo story. We got to come back for Godfather 2. We don't, I already Fredo's. know. Fredo breaks his heart. What does that mean? He you don't know. Up. He fucked up because well, he Fredo fucks fucked up. up. Okay, so he fucked up again. He probably <laughs> went against the family again. <laughs> so, it doesn't matter how Fredo fucked up. It just matters that Fredo fucked up. 
I need more wine. <laughs> I am out of wine. <laughs> Let us rectify that. <laughs> because what this is, is, right, is I'm now the drunk girl at the party. And I think I'm hilarious. And that I'm making the party. See, here's my concern. Is but the that, problem and is, I know you. I know you so is, well. Is that everybody else looks at the drunk girl at the party and is like, I just have to worry about getting her home safe. Uh, She's now just something I have to take care of. Yeah, She's that's my role funny. now. Right. But what if this is the listener's role? Is like we're laughing, and they're not going to think this is funny. <laughs> I mean, why are they laughing? My concern is that tomorrow, when you sober up. You're going to listen to this and be like, you can't use any well, of that. I'm not going to listen you to this. You got to cut all of that I am that not out. going to listen to this. Like, unless I've said something tor- terribly, like... Racist or... Racist or... Mm-hmm. Which, I, I mean, homophobic or whatever. Yeah. But I wouldn't because you know what? You know what? <laughs> Being drunk isn't an excuse to say racist shit or homophobic <laughs> shit or xenophobic shit. That's in your soul. That is who you are. So don't use alcohol as an excuse for, oh, I said something really, you know, terrible and hateful and bigoted. No, motherfucker. That's who you are. And I am not. So I know I haven't said anything racist or homophobic or xenophobic or, you know, ableist or anything like that. <laughs> because it's not who I am. But I also know, I think I'm a lot funnier right now than I actually am. And so I apologize to the listeners because I'm probably not that funny right now. You're pretty funny. No, you've also been drinking, so I can't trust your judgment. We have been drinking about the same amount, which means that you are like nine times drunker than I am. Oh, I'm Irish. I can handle my alcohol. (laughs) Whatever. I never drink. Do you think people used to respect us before this episode? No. Oh, my God. Okay, At least good. not me. Okay, good. No. Yeah. They would never respect someone who'd never seen The Godfather. <laughs> okay, let's... Should we get back to The Godfather? Sure, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to talk about? We didn't talk about the horse's head. How did we not talk about the horse's head? I am glad that I finally saw the scene with the horse's head because I'd never actually seen the scene. I'd seen references to the scene Uh in various places, but I'd never actually seen the scene itself. I think that's the one thing I knew about this as a child before I ever saw the movie Mm -hmm. was, and it was probably from like Mad Magazine or something that Mm. I knew. It was like a fold out of some sort. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I learned about a lot of movies that I wasn't old enough to see was from Mad Magazine. They used to do... uh, parody versions of all the movies. So. Mm-hmm. It's a good scene. It's powerful. It's affecting. Felt bad for the horse. It's a real horse. What? It's a real horse. They killed a real horse? Well, no, they got it from a dog food company. It's horrifying. But it was a real horse's head. That is horrifying. What do you think? They made it out of paper mache? It was a real horse's head. Uh, we got effects. <laughs> 1972, no computer-generated horse heads. That's horrifying. You want a horse head, you go down to the local dog food company and you get a Conveniently a black horse, horse. All right, really? Yeah. You're comfortable with yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Speaking of racism. Oh, okay, sure. Keep the drugs with the dark people? Yeah. That's how we know that uh, Don Corleone is an honorable man. No, he's not honorable. He's a criminal. He's not honorable. No, he's an honorable he's man. He's not honorable. The reason he doesn't get into drugs is because it was like, it would be a problem for my connections in 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 um in 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 um, uh, in uh, you shouldn't make Washington. fun of speech impediments. That's not cool. That's not cool. It's not, cool. not cool at all. Yeah, he says his senators and his judges exactly. and everything. Exactly. So it's not he's would. not taking sort of moral high ground. This is this is what it is. 
is everybody's like, pivot to video. And he's like, I don't want to pivot to video. I want to stay with long form. <laughs> That's what drugs is. So, like, booze and whores and gambling mm-hmm. is, you know, old, old journalism. School. Okay. And then they're like, drugs, pivot to video. And he's like, mm, I don't want to do Drugs is clickbait. Right. Drugs Drug- is- and and mm-hmm. he is right, because we've seen how that has played out. Yeah. Um. So... So he's like, I'm not. I don't think we should pivot to video. I think we should respect the old form. Uh huh. You know, stick with the drugs. But they're I mean, like, there's a lot the, of money to be made from right from drugs. We can get advertising. And he's like, No, I don't. I don't really want to mess with that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. It's going to inconvenience my friends. So. So the compromise they eventually arrive at is, is keep it with the darkies. Is, yeah, exactly. Because they're animals anyway, and they're going to ruin themselves. Hmm. So, which is apart from everything else, a pretty fair representation of how the drug crisis in America went. Reagan, Nixon, <laughs> I'm just saying, crack cocaine was fed into the black neighborhoods. <laughs> we didn't do that shit on our own. But now that it's an opiate crisis affecting white people, now we need to deal with it. Yeah, in now, a it's, now it's a crisis. Responsible way. So, yeah. awesome. <laughs> Okay, well, do you want to talk about this as an emigration story? You mentioned that earlier. I mean, sure. They're immigrants. Or not. Are they not? <laughs> Are they? <laughs> we, we, we may have pushed beyond the ability to, <laughs> to actually do this. There was a sweet spot, and I think we passed it. <laughs> We're still good. Are they immigrants? I think you've come out the other end of the sweet spot. Are they immigrants? They are. Well, yeah. Okay. Don well, then why are you laughing at me? Okay. They're immigrants. <laughs> That's how you get the good juice from the wine. That's a sophisticated way to drink wine. You kind of suck it through your teeth. Suck it through your teeth. No, no juice. <laughs> That's good no-no juice. <laughs> this is n- none of this is going to be usable. Right. So, yes. <laughs> so, the American dream is a lie for everyone. <laughs> it's all. You have to start a mob. You have to sell drugs. Good. First of all, no one can hear you. Second of all, this is not. You're going dark. We're gerbils on the fucking wheel. <laughs> it's never ending. And then we die of heart attacks. We die of cancer. We die of diabetes. Amazon is taking over everything. They're now going to do healthcare. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Drones are going to be doing your surgery. Drones. Okay, we might need to stop this. No, <laughs> let's talk about immigration. Because <laughs> none of that is anything I can use. <laughs> I think it's very astute political <laughs> no. analysis. No, what your problem is? I meant you to have one glass of wine, not three. Three. Is... You open a bottle. <laughs> We need to finish the box because then we just end up with half bottles in the fridge. That okay, but let's away. talk about The Godfather. Okay, we've been talking about The Godfather. <laughs> I, I feel like I've been talking for like an hour. 
Right. So, I mean, in terms of immigration, in terms of the immigration... Mm-hmm. It's just numbness. <laughs> like, I can't feel my face. But I can feel my eyeball. <laughs> it's a very certain sensation. In case we actually use any of this, I want it on the record that this is what... Two and a half glasses Three, of wine bitch. does to Three. my wife. And I never drink. That's the problem is that I never drink. <laughs> so my body is just in emergency mode of like, we need to push blood somewhere else. That's not the brain. Like it just, it goes somewhere else. And I don't know where it goes. You know where it goes? It goes to my feet because I'm supposed to be dancing. If I'm drinking, that means I'm dancing. I'm not dancing right now. So. I mean, dancing doesn't work that well on podcasts. It's not. No. No. Uh... Yes. I think this film... Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we need to call it. We, we don't. We need to not do this right now. Right. So, I think where this film started is sort of a perfect encapsulation of the themes. That sort of uh, monologue that Buonasera gives at the beginning of, like, this is what I thought America was. Mm-hmm. And it turns out America fucked me in the ass. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a perfect sort of encapsulation, right? Because it's the sort of uh, the disappointment of the American dream of the, of the sort of immigration experience that in order to succeed, you have to sort of play outside of the rules or then, I guess, if you say that. So does that mean that the Corleones are actually the good guys? So that we should be rooting for mm, them? I think we only root for them because we spend the most time with them. Because we know them. It's possible that if we'd spent time with the whomevers, we would be on their side as well. Because, I mean, the fact of the matter is that everybody's playing the same game. It's just that we ate Chinese food with these people. So <laughs> we have a fondness for them. But they're all sort of working within this construct of, like wanting better for themselves, wanting better for their families, and realizing that the only way to sort of do that, well, not the only way, but the sort of quickest way to do that is to sort of um, right. work the nooks and crannies of the American system. and not Well, so right much. before he dies, Vito says to Michael, Right, I wanted you to be a senator. I never I wanted, wanted you this to be for a you. Governor. I, wanted I wanted you to be... Right. And you be Senator Colleone. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> Let's hear yours. I can't do it. Yes, you can. I Come definitely on. can't do it do while it. I'm drunk. I can't feel my face, so do I can't do the thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So the like the the sort of and it sort of mirrors the naivete that Kay shows earlier when she says, "Oh, I thought you wanted to be, you know, a senator or governor, and not be involved in this." You know, right. senators and governors don't have people killed. Right. Um, he says, "Now who's naive?" Right. So this idea that these people who are quote unquote, you know, legitimate within the system, um, are somehow clean right and this idea that that's what michael would be uh i think is pretty much the sort of well even towards the end of the movie michael tells Kay, within five years our business will be mm-hmm. completely legitimate right and you know no spoiler alert for godfather 2 but do you believe that i don't but i also believe that you know politics is legitimate and we know that that is you know fairly exploitative and and dehumanizing for many people. So, I need more wine. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm.
That's it. That was all the wine. That was all the wine? We'd have to open another bottle, and that's not a good idea. I think it's an awesome It's idea. not a good... Have some water. I don't want any water. <laughs> I think you should have some water. I don't want any water. I think it's important that you have some water. I don't want any water. I think the unenthusiastic critic needs some water. I don't need any water. <laughs> Fuck you and your water. What else? <laughs> How do you judge the Corleones? I mean, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. We're all just, you know, scrambling. Trying to make ends <laughs> meet, man. I don't know. I can't judge. I can judge the whole drugs, you know, the darkies doing drugs thing. That I do judge. Otherwise, I don't really have a problem with anything they do. Um, but I grew up in Las Vegas, so I'm all about women and gambling. <laughs> Is that what you're all about? I've often wondered That's what, what you were all about. All, deep in my soul. Uh-huh. Had things turned out right for me. Oh, okay. I would be like a, you know, big, you know, gambling whore boss or something where but my ladies would be treated well and uh, I would have casinos um, and I would be living my best life wearing a lot of caftans um, unfortunately I took a different route bad choices all around I think we need to stop this we don't need to stop no, let's finish really no 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 really let's finish no. let's finish you're you're past the point what else would you like to talk okay what else would you like to talk about <laughs> I haven't said anything terrible <laughs> I'm aware of what I've said so it's fine I'm fine with it I'm fine with wanting to be a casino whore boss it may not be too late I think it is you think so I think it is I think you got to get in early on the ground floor mm-hmm. there Really establish yourself. So wait, while we were watching this movie, I asked you, would you have married me if my family had been connected? And you said no. I'm not down with the murder. I think Hmm. the murder is a problem for me. Okay. I think that's where I draw the line. You know. I mean, it's just, it's not personal. It's just business. No, but it's murder. Yeah, it's just business. But it's murder though. See, it's the thing. Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Right. And that's, it's, that was a terrible way to die. (laughs) It's a horrible way to die. That's the thing. I'm fine. Again, I'm fine with booze. Okay, can we talk about that, by the way? Who the fuck decides it's a good idea to send Luca Brazzi in anywhere undercover? I mean, he's Does the this muscle. guy seem like a slick operator? He's the Does muscle, Does he seem though. like James Bond? But he's the muscle. No, he's muscle. That's great. You want somebody beaten with a trash can, Luca Brazzi is your man. No, Della Reese is your man, <laughs> but okay. But for delicate undercover work, I do not think Luca Brazzi is your Did guy. Did he blow his cover? I didn't see him blowing his cover. I didn't, I mean... Well, he didn't fool anybody. I guess not, but I, I don't think he did a terrible job. <laughs> he got his hand knifed to the bar And then he was choked to death. And yes, then he I was understand. choked to death, I understand, yes. but I don't... I, but, you know, I'm the, the fishes. Right, but when I was looking at it, I didn't see him, you know, do a terrible job. Yeah. But yeah, you said you would not marry me if I was connected. Again, because of the murder. I'm fine with booze. I'm fine with whores. I'm fine with gambling. gambling. Not murder. What about if my family was selling drugs to the the darkies, colored as they called it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I would not be fine with that. Okay. No. So that's where you draw. the I line. I draw the line in murder and darkies. That's where I draw the line. Okay. Let me read <laughs> from a couple of reviews. Let's try that. Okay. Okay, here's a positive review. Aren't they all positive? No, that's the surprise you have coming for you. Okay. Vincent Camby in the New York Times said, One of the most brutal and moving chronicles of American life ever designed within the limits of popular entertainment. A movie that transcends its immediate milieu and genre. You concur? Uh, 
Sure. <laughs> okay. And then this is Stanley Kaufman in the New Republic, who was not a fan of the movie. Hmm. He pretty much criticized the acting across the board. Really? He said, I don't see how any gifted actor could have done less than Brando does here. He is handicapped by poor makeup, but the real fault is his own. His laxness, sloth. (laughs) What Brando manufactures is surface, studied but easy effects. Which kind of gets back to what you were saying about it being a very studied performance. Right, but I didn't think it was bad. I thought it was a good performance. He says Al Pacino as Brando's heir rattles around in a part too demanding for him. Yeah, he was not impressed. That's what we call a hot take. That's a hot take. Trying just trying to be contrary. And then Robert Hatch in The Nation questions the morality of the movie. He says what the film overlooks or at least studiously refrains from showing in Michael's metamorphosis from modern war hero to reptilian gang chief is that there is a purpose behind all the plotting and killing. It is to determine which gang of Sicilians shall have the right to suck the life out of an unsuspecting public. The picture forces you to take sides, to form allegiances in a situation that is totally without moral substance. The ethical problem is to choose between typhus and cholera. And I found that flogging about for three hours in that quagmire was spiritually debilitating and a crazy waste of time. Okay, you know what that is? That's an I know words review. <laughs> That's what we call that. It's like, oh, I, I know words. I think words. I've written a few of those. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> you can say quagmire. You, can, you know words. Uh-huh. It's wonderful. <laughs> I don't agree with that. I mean, he's got a point. There is no... You're rooting for which mob family is going to be on top, and they're all awful. Right, but I mean, I think with with every film, you sort of we're we're playing within the rules of the film, and the, that's sort of the rules of this film. So, and if we're being honest, it's the rules of America. So, are we going to judge it for that? I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. I don't know if that's fair. So you were defending the Godfather. I mean, I'm not. I don't. Uh, this might be unprecedented. We've reached a point where I mean, the unenthusiastic not, critic is actually defending one of these movies. I'm not like vociferously defending it. I'm just. Is that the right word? It's a. It's a word. Sure. Is it the right word? You that know I want? words. Like strong word. Like <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You're, you're good. <laughs> I went to school. Um, <laughs> But I am saying that, you know, in uh, with every film, we sort of sort of accept the universe and the rules of the film. So to sort of judge it outside of that seems a little bit unfair. But in a just and moral universe, should not all of these people have been in prison at the end of the movie? But we don't live in a just and moral universe. We live in a universe where senators take money from the NRA. That's what that's what we live in. So you got dark. I got real, bitches. Okay? <laughs> Let, let's talk real. Like, you make a choice to gamble. You make a choice to, you know, sleep with whores. Uh, sex workers, I believe we call them. Yes, sex workers. Sorry. Who should be unionized and should get benefits and should get, you know, health care and all these other wonderful things. And should not be stigmatized in any way. That is, was not my intention. But I'm from Vegas. So you keep saying that I still don't know what it means. It means you know I'm I'm probably a little freer on the gambling and the horse thing. <laughs> Do you, bitch? Get your money. Get your paper. So, would you recommend The Godfather? 
I think it's a beautiful film. I don't think it's the greatest film ever made. I don't know. I don't yeah, know I don't know that I do either. About that, but I don't know the answer to that question. But I do think that it, it has sort of informed much of cinema um, and television. Um, so I, I, I think it's a worthwhile. And you actually enjoyed it. I, mean, I did I think actually. That, no, was I a pretty, yeah. that three hours went pretty quickly, didn't it? I don't know how to say that, but <laughs> that whole Sicily section could just go. Um, but again, there's one Apollonia that I recognize in my life. There aren't two Jesuses. There's one Monday, Jesus. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> okay, so you would you admit this to the canon? You admit that it's an important film that everyone should see. I mean, sure, it's fun. No, it's a good film. There are some great performances. I think it is visually interesting. Um, and like I said, I do I do think that it has sort of birthed a lot of uh, cinema and television um, uh, moving forward. <laughs> um, and by extension, you still need to see The Godfather 2. I absolutely do not. And The Godfather 3. I absolutely do not. Because I imagine it's Kay gets bitter and angry. Uh, Michael becomes more distant and cold. And sort of ensconced in the role of the Don. Uh, Fredo still the fuck up. No, Fredo Fredo really comes into his no, own. No, Fredo breaks his heart. Fredo no, breaks Fredo, his heart. Fredo really steps up to the plate. No, Fredo can't step up to the plate. Fredo can't step up to the plate. Because Fredo <laughs> is the little baby man from Dr. Moreau. Fredo <laughs> is failure. Just a disappointment. <laughs> Just a disappointment. Well, we have to watch Godfather 3 someday, and we won't do it for the for the podcast. We'll just watch it just so you can see Sofia Coppola's performance as Michael's daughter. I have no interest in seeing Sofia Coppola act, as I have very little interest. She was in this movie. She was the baby that was being baptized mm-hmm. at the end, mm-hmm. uh, Connie's baby. That mm-hmm. was Sofia Coppola's first and, to date, most successful performance as an actress. That's, that's a dig. That's a dick. <laughs> She's really bad in Godfather 3. Well, you know, we all don't, you know, become who we're meant to be. Well, no, she did. She became a director. She's She makes very pretty films. <laughs> I don't know that her films oh, actually say anything. Not a fan. Yeah, I sort of agree with that, actually. But they're very pretty to look at. But Godfather 2, at least, you need to see. I really don't. What I need to do is go back to Vegas and, you know, become who I'm meant to be. So this movie inspired you. That's what I'm getting out of it this. It did. Inspired you to become a crime lord. Well, not a crime lord. I should just be involved in gambling and prostitution. Right. That would make you a crime lord. Gambling is legal in Vegas. Prostitution, you know, it's a gray area. Well, it's not a gray area. It's a gray it's, area. you know, illegal in Vegas. It's a gray area. Legal outside of Vegas. I would be fabulous. Which is a stupid rule, by I the way. I would have caftans with feathers on the sleeves and turbans. And shades. I would basically be like Mrs. Roper. This is Roper. how you would dress, or this is how your sex workers would dress? No, this dress. is how I would dress. That is like, you know, my boss bitch outfit is, you know, colorful caftan with feathers on the sleeve at the at the end of the sleeve and a turban. This is your pimp wear. This is my pimp wear. I wouldn't call myself a pimp because my, my bitches right, would be would, like but you taken would, care of. But you would be a pimp. They would have health care. They would be a union. They It would be... Amazing. Right. By definition, though, you would be a pimp. I mean, I'd be a mother. (laughs) 
a mother to my bitches. <laughs> okay, this is not okay. None of this is okay. <laughs> Nothing you're saying right now is okay. It would be amazing. It would be so good. And they would love me. <laughs> and if they got out of line? Well, they wouldn't because, like, I would well, no, be... they would, though. No, because I would be do. paying them fairly. They would have health benefits. Uh-huh. They would have, you yeah, know, still, 401ks. Still, they might, you know... They wouldn't give up. Skim a little off the top. They would, or, not, skim, they would not do that uh-huh. to me. My and ladies would did, not do that to me. They wouldn't do that to me. And if they did? I'd make them watch Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> As punishment. <laughs> sound of music. <laughs> Lock him in a room with the sound of music on infinite loop. That's not okay. This is what happens None when you that. cross mother. None of that is okay. Yeah, I don't really know if you got anything usable <laughs> out of this entire endeavor. I'm not doing it again. New rule of thumb So is, you're going to have to figure some you know, shit out. You get one glass of wine. You don't get I need three or more four. wine. <laughs> <laughs> wine wench wine wench I'm sorry you're calling me the I'm the wine wench of course you're the wine okay. wench it's 2018 you're the wine wench <laughs> not me I got bitches to handle the podcast is cancelled <laughs> we're done we need, I gotta put you to bed we need a next movie I don't know what the next movie I don't know that we're doing any more movies we're doing more no. More wine. Maybe. Let's open another bottle. That's our show, such as it is. We thank you for listening, and we hope you'll come back next week for Nakia's first viewing of a film that will just make her wish she were drunk. The most successful motion picture of all time, James Cameron's 2009 hit, Avatar. Isn't it pretty much reviled? Uh, yes. I didn't like it at all, actually. That bodes well. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite app, and email us at michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. As always, we encourage you to suggest a movie Nikia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until then, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. If I post this episode unedited, you will never forgive me. I think I will. Except for the part that I said take out, which I don't remember what, what I was referring to. I don't remember you saying take anything out. I did. At one point I said don't do that. Don't publish that. Okay. But other than that, I'm completely fine with everything I just said. You should have said that more often. No, I just not No, I feel totally comfortable with everything I just said. You just spent 20 minutes talking about how you're going to keep your bitches in line. That's not horrifying. <laughs> I said they'd have 401k health benefits. <laughs> And they get paid a fair wage. Okay. Why are you, you know, shaming sex work? Sex work is a legitimate work. The problem is the system isn't there to support it. The problem is it's, you know, open to exploitation and abuse. <clears throat> and I'm saying that wouldn't happen. Why? Because if you hit on my bitches, I'm going to bust your ass with a garbage can. Boom! Full circle. And now we're done. <laughs>